Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding. I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We are continuing our look at the um, Sermon on the Mount. We're still in chapter 5. We should, let's see, get through a lot of it today, largely because the the principles in the next two or three sections— uh, we, we won't get through all of it today now that I look at it. Um, what we what we have to do is we have to deal with a couple of issues next. Jesus chooses, essentially chooses two things, and, and, and it's uh, to speak about, to do with sin, to murder and adultery, and and put, makes a principle of the thing. And in both these cases, it's, it's a uh, a reasonably foreseeable principle, to be honest with you. It, th- this is not something that should trouble you in any shape, form, or fashion. So he says in verse 21, you've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, anyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whether in, Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. So let's look first at the whole issue of murder and anger. Um, And so... The, the point is, and it's going to come in another piece as well, um, in, a, in a couple of days, we're going to see a similar kind of a principle. But the principle here has everything in the world to do with um, Cain and Abel, to be honest with you, because if you look at the Cain and Abel story, you'll see exactly the same thing. <clears throat> so they one the, Abel's offering is acceptable to God, and Cain's offering is not acceptable to God. He was not pleased with Cain's offering, which means basically that he brought sort of a a halfway offering. Um, I know there are people who want to argue that this has something to do with blood sacrifice. It does not. It has nothing to do with that. Um, I had a long argument with another um, ordained person one time about this issue, uh, and I have still no earthly idea why he says that it has something to do with that, because Um, What it says is that he brought some stuff, and then Abel, on the other hand, brought uh, the firstborn of the flock and their fat portions, so he brought the best that he could give him. It's recognition that the Lord had blessed him, and so he's giving him the best. Cain's attitude is more like, well, I'm sure you had something to do with this, but I worked hard for it. Remember, he's working the ground, and the ground had been cursed. So Cain is sort of begrudgingly giving the Lord some portion because, well, you had to have helped me somewhat. Abel, on the other hand, intending the flocks, is is choosing the easier path in some ways. Um, and then he is well aware that the Lord does everything to make fertile and all that. Cain would have felt like, well, I did a lot of the work to make the fertility of the ground and all that. But the reality is, is that, that he has no earthly idea why anything grows. It just does. And so he did his work and then got a return from it. And and he, at some level, said, well, all right, here's something. So <clears throat> 
Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, this is in chapter 4, verse 6 of Genesis, the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you don't do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Now that's a, And then right after that, Cain spoke to his brother Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Now the, the, what God says there about its, its desire, sin's desire, is contrary to you, but you must rule over it, is exactly the same thing that, that you see in another place. And that is this. That's the curse on, on childbearing. And also the, the second part of that curse on childbearing against Eve after the sin in the garden was this. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And so it's the same language, and you see it in both those. And But here, in the first one with Eve, it says your husband's going to rule over you. Your desire is going to want to to be to rule over him, but it's going to work the other way around. And, and with Cain, its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So the Lord's calling him to take action. He's pointing it out, and the, the issue is if you continue down this road of anger towards your brother— who had actually done nothing other than give the Lord an acceptable gift, then you're going to have to deal with this. You've got to deal with it now. So he gets a warning about what's going to happen if he continues along this line of anger. If he lets this unrighteous anger run in that direction, then then it's going to go badly. And it does. And that's exactly what Jesus is pointing out here. Anyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And so this is called, in, in rabbinic language, it can be called putting a fence around the law, which is exactly the same thing Eve tries to do with the serpent when she says we're not supposed to eat it or even touch it. So that, that's making sure that you don't get close enough to something to, to cause that next thing to happen. For instance, one of the rabbinic laws is, is that, that if something can't be used on the Sabbath, don't even have it in your hand. So don't pick up a hammer, for instance, because the only thing you could do with a hammer, although you know recently we've seen you could do other things with it, but um, at any rate, you can. The, the only thing you could do with a hammer is work with it, a saw, any of those kinds of implements. That none of those, all those, could lead to working on the Sabbath, and so don't pick it up at all. The same can be said of cell phones, because they're not in the very orthodox communities. They're not supposed to have any uh, any cell phone communication during the day on the Sabbath, and so the rabbis would say to that, in the same way they do with the hammers, that don't touch it, don't even pick it up, just stay away from it. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here, and he's saying exactly the same thing the Father said to uh, Cain. In Genesis, and that is, don't get angry. Don't allow that anger to run. Got to stop it now. And and then it's a big issue that that you have when you say you fool, then then you have said something about your brother now that has diminished him and, and caused him to. You're treating him as somewhat less than um, created in the image of God. And then what's his what's his. Uh, Reminder there, if you're offering your gift, and there remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go. Go be reconciled with your brother, and then come and offer you, offer your gift. And, and that's an interesting way of looking at it. What, what, what you would think it would say is, if you're offering your gift, and there remember that you have something against your brother. 
No, it's telling you to be proactive in bringing about reconciliation. Go and be reconciled. Let that part happen first. Because when you make the offering at the altar, then what's happening there is you're either celebrating or making reconciliation with God. And, and the principle here is, no, first be reconciled to your brother, and then come to it here. Your first obligation, you can't be reconciled to God if you're not reconciled to your brother, is the point. And so your first obligation is to make things right on that horizontal plane before you can make things right on the vertical plane. Because you're still, there's still something there that's problematic. And so that needs to be attended to first. There, there's a connection being made there between um, reconciliation between um, humans and then pursuing reconciliation with God. As long as there's some division out there, um, then you'd go do what's necessary to fix a problem that you have created. Now, that doesn't, does it mean that that a person can have something unreasonable against you? Yes, it does. Does it? If you know this, though, if you know your brother has something against you and it's a legitimate thing, then you need to go fix that first and then come before the Lord and offer your gift. And then come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. In other words, deal with it. Don't let it go that far. And that's why in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul speaks about the, the, the silliness of Christians going to um, court with one another and allowing secular people to judge them. And, and that's exactly what, what Jesus is saying here. Come to terms with your accuser <clears throat> while you're going with him to court. Don't, don't let secular courts decide matters between brothers and sisters or brothers and brothers or sisters and sisters, whatever it is, because he says it's not going to go well for you. You're, you're going to have to just just get things taken care of. Be reconciled. Always be a reconciler and always be a peacemaker. That's the whole point of that. But, but it's don't let anger run. Deal with it. Deal with it now. Don't let it, don't let it grow into full flower, which then becomes murder. And, and it's easy to see that. It's, it's not a crime of passion. It, it, it's a crime that something built up and then finds its full flower in murder. And then he does the same thing with lust. You've heard it was said, don't commit adultery. <clears throat> but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, it, does that mean that if you happen to spot a good-looking man or woman, depending on, you know, uh, if you're if you're a man, then if you spot a good-looking woman, then you know if you a woman and you spot a good-looking man, does it does it wrong for you to have noticed that? And the answer is no. That's not the point. The point is lustful intent. And so pornography would certainly fit within the purview of that statement right there. Uh, anything like that would would cause you to. If you look with lustful intent, I mean, if you're hanging out at the gym and, and start talking to your buddy about this girl or that girl over there and checking them out with lustful intent, then that clearly is it. I mean, or you know, seeing somebody is not the same thing as looking at them with lustful intent. But Jesus says you've already committed the sin of adultery with them. They're not guilty of it, but you are. And, and that's uh, a I can remember way, way back, this would be 1976, 75, 76, somewhere in through there, probably 75, 
Um, no, it'd be 76. When Jimmy Carter was running for president, he agreed to be interviewed by Playboy, and, and this is one of the things that he said. He, he mentions this and goes to it and says that he's guilty of this. And, and it, it was scandalous, and the world didn't understand it. The world had no earthly idea what he was talking about. But, but he was exactly right. Because then you're, it's, it's all, both these things are, now your mind's going to be running in one specific direction. And you're not going to get this out of your head. No, go ahead, turn away from it, and move on with your life. Don't let this become something that you think about. Don't let it become a fantasy. Don't let it become anything like that. And, and that's exactly what Jesus is saying, is, is your heart has been defiled. <clears throat> if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better to, that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go to hell. We could go a little further than that, especially in this case of adultery right here that we're talking about. But I'm not going to go there. I just kind of sideways did. So, but but the point here is it, it, the, the way that Jesus says this it, it is there's the, there's an old principle, right? There's an old principle in the law that that if somebody does something to you, then there's a principle called lex talionis which is the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It's retributive justice. And so the principle there is don't do more harm to somebody else than they have done to you. So you don't have the right to, if, if they put your eye out, you don't have the right to kill them or put both their eyes out. So lex talionis, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, is a legal principle. It's a legal principle within Judaism, actually. Um, vengeance is something more than that. Retributive justice it recognizes parity in outcome, and so that's the 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 whole issue. There is parity in outcome. So whatever was done to you, you can do to somebody else if they did it maliciously, as opposed to accidentally. That's the reason that there were uh, cities of refuge provided. If, if an accidental thing, like an involuntary manslaughter or something like that, happened, that that it, it it couldn't have been prevented. You didn't do it on purpose. Then you could go and live out the rest of your life in exile in one of the cities of refuge. But here, what Jesus says is he takes the principle of Lex Talionis, and he turns it on his ear. And he, what he says is, apply that same principle to yourself. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. In, in both those instances, what he's saying is, is that, that be ruthless about the principle of Lex Talionis, retributive justice, with yourself. And he's not saying... I'm positive that Jesus didn't mean go ahead and cut your hand off, poke your eye out, whatever. Um, that That's not what it is. I mean, because ultimately it would stop at the level of get a lobotomy because your mind is the biggest problem that you've got, right? I mean, you've got two problems. One is a heart issue, that that's desire, and the other is your mind. You can conceive and fantasize <coughs> about things. And so ultimately you'd have to either rip out your heart and rip out your mind. Because what you would recognize very quickly is, is that just because I don't have eyes doesn't mean that I can't, quote, see in my mind's eye what it is that I'd like to see. So Jesus is saying be ruthless about sin in your life. And he, and he chooses two specific instances, murder and adultery. Those would seem to be the, sort of the, the most flagrant possible sins that you could commit. But, but Jesus is very clear about these things. Um, and he's, he's speaking primarily, obviously, in that second, he's speaking primarily to men. I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
I mean, he can only countenance that work in one way, that a man would look at a woman with lust. And and so what he says is, is, is you've got to be ruthless about those sins in your life. If you're going to pursue righteousness, if you're going to seek after righteousness in the way that he says, to hunger and thirst after it, and to be pure in heart, then you've got to deal with these things, Jesus says. And these are the things that we're most likely to fall into and fail at, is that anger and lust. Uh, human nature is just human nature. It, it's, it's never changed. It's always been the same thing. We tend to fall into certain traps, and it's easy to know that. And so when Jesus mentions it, I'm sure that people's hearts were cut to the quick when he mentioned these two things. And you can just imagine people looking around at one another like, oh, my goodness, I need to be reconciled to that person, and i got to stop staring at that woman. So, But you can see here that, that there's a need for us to put a fence around our conduct. Um, I have a really good friend who— uh, she watches Pure Flix, pretty much, and Pure Flix only, um, because she's being careful about that. I have other friends who have Net Nanny installed in their devices to keep them from going to those places. That's what it means to put a fence around the law, and that's what Jesus is doing here. Those are good things. Now, the Pharisees put fences around things that prohibited things that were actually allowed you know, you can't honor your father and mother if what you would have given to them, you've now said, no, that's set aside as Corban, uh, because that that feels like you're really religious. But the reality is you have a duty to your mother and father to honor them, and you're not do—that's a primary obligation. And so you, you can't do this in order to, to avoid that primary responsibility. And, and so that's kind of the way to look at this, and Jesus is teaching us how to think about the law in all of this. And so I, I want you to see and I want you to think about with me what that would look like in those places where you're most tempted. Where would that be? I mean, if you've got a gambling problem, then, then what would be the fence that you would set up to keep from that? If you have an alcohol problem, what would be the fence you would set up? If you have whatever that problem is, whether it's overindulgence in food, alcohol, whatever, any of those things, put that fence around it, figure it out, and say, yes, I need to do this. And, and if I, I know where my triggers for temptation are, and, and if I put a fence up that keeps me from that, then I'll be much better off in my life, and I'll have much better success in, in not going into that place of sin that's, that's become a problem for me. So any of those places, just think, what is my problem? How do I fix that? What do I do? How can I be accountable in advance for this? And that's what Jesus' principles are here with these fences that he puts around these two pieces of the law. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.